Happy Father's Day to everyone. I saw a video this week. I saw a video this week where Father's Day tracked the top 20 of holidays in American celebrate. And I have to confess your response to Happy Father's Day makes me think that play is a little too hot. Just like, But Happy Father's Day, right? And I do want to wish a special Father's Day to not just, you know, our biological fathers or our adoptive fathers, but also our spiritual fathers, our mentors, to the fathers, grandfathers, uncles, friends, mentors who have poured into us. Those who have loved us well. You know, I think I think for a lot of us, uh, you heard my story. A lot of me, Father's Day is a complicated day for me. Um, uh, I think most of you know this by now. Now you're going to hear it, right? Uh, my dad was killed when I was six during the Liberian Civil War. So I was raised by a single mother. So we didn't really, like, your reaction to Father's Day was my reaction to Father's Day pretty much until I had kids. Okay? Then I was just like, well, that's the last year. You know, I feel the need to celebrate me today, you know? Um, but, but it is, and I think for a lot of us, it's, it's also made more complicated because we may not have, you know, that dreamy relationship with our father. We may not have a good relationship with our father. Um, uh, the therapist will tell us that a lot of uh, what, what, we, what, what our parents do to us, you know, right? Like, it, 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 it carries on. But I also think it's positive of that that we don't talk enough about, right? There's, there's a lot of us who have good people in our lives who pour into us, and, and those and that fathering and that love, that lives on too. Uh, one of the things that really, really brings joy to my heart is I didn't know my father well. Um, I didn't know my, my grandfather well, but, but to meet people who knew them and say, hey, you remind me of them because you do this, right? So when you're loved well, it doesn't matter if it's just a baby or it's a, a 25-year-old or a 50-year-old. When you're loved well, that love translates and goes through. And of course, we as believers, we as Christians, are positioned as Christians to look at God as our father. Uh, and, and, and I think God intentionally does that because He knows that we have men are kind of trash in right? And He's got to fill the gap for us, right? I think God knows that we might fall short and He's going to fill that gap. So, so for all of us, I think we can wish a happy Father's Day, not only because some of us have been loved well, but because in God our Father, we are all loved well. Amen? And, and for me, one of the things that's been really comforting of our Father's Day is to think about all the people in my life who, who've invested in me, the people who have loved me. And I think really that's the joy of Father's right? And to think and to make sure I get flowers and what the kids say, right? I give honor, I give praise to those who have invested in me. And that's the joy of me. But, but the real blessing of uh, fatherhood for me is actually just my kids. You know, Parker and Kennedy, there's a, there's a song we love to sing in my house. Uh, we sing a lot in my family. Um, I don't know if you can sing. Parker's only one who's got a right? Uh, he might be able to sing. The rest of us, we just sing, right? We think that biblical command seems to make a joyful noise, right? Um, and I just have the on feet. But one of the things that, that we, we sing is a, a song called The Best Part of Me, right? And that's, of course, just because the best part of me is you. And if I think of my kids, right, I really see them as the best part of me and my wife. Uh, music is, again, something that we enjoy. Um, but, but a lot of times people will ask this question when you're a pastor. It's just like, well, you're a pastor, you love everyone. Is there anything your kids can do that you won't love them? And I was like, well, listen, I'm like God the Father. There's nothing you can do that I won't love them except like bad music. Right? Like, that's the unforgivable thing. Like, if you like bad music, there's, there's no redeeming you, right? Like, Jesus did not die for you to like bad music, right? Like, I just can't save you on that one. Um, and if you like bad music, you'll just stop liking bad music. It's really easy, right? Um, but with that said, uh, one of the things that 
things that we do is every time we're in a car, there's usually a song playing, and we sing along. And so this week, I was with my youngest, my oldest is a kid um, at, at um, Pembroke. And I'm driving around, and there's a song that came on uh, by, by one of my favorite artists, by Anna Tisha's Demon. And, and the song is All the Trees of the Field with Plastic Hands. Now, if you're not familiar with this song, it starts out very simple. There's like maybe a banjo and there's this visual soft voice, and, and, but it's building on, right? So it's a very sweet song, and it's layers, right? It starts out solo, and then it's like a, a women's choir that jumps in. And it, but, but the reason, what I love about this song is that I personally think, well, I don't even have much respect. It is. This is a prayerful reflection, right, of Isaiah 55. Now, if you didn't memorize Isaiah 55 growing up, I guarantee you, you know Isaiah 55. Because if I were to say something that, like, my way is not your way, right, you would say, what, my thoughts are not? That's Isaiah 55, right? If I say, come all who are thirsty, right, that's Isaiah 55. Because it's an invitation, it's a welcome to the thirsty, to the poor, to come. And it's a reminder that God has made covenant, God has made relationships with us and, and to us. It's a reminder that God chose people like David to be his witness, right? To so be his blessing. It, but it's also that, that, that familiar passage where God says, My word will not return void, right? It will not return empty. Uh, uh, I will achieve the purpose of my purposes through you, through my word. I will accomplish what I desire in you. All of that is Isaiah 55. And of course, that, that familiar verse and passage ends with the return to God's joy. God calling us back to not just worship and honor Him, but that coming back to God is returning to joy. And I love that. And, and of course, that's the familiar passage where at the end, right? He says, all the trees of the field will clap their hands. This idea that, 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 that not only will we celebrate and worship God, all of nature joins into the joy as well, but even the trees clap their hands. Now, I'm a pastor and a father, so I, and again, my kids don't have a choice to like bad music, because they're going to like the song, right? So as we're listening, I look to the back window, and I see my, my, my seven-year-old thinking really sweetly, you know? She's like, oh, this is good. You know? And my initial thought was, well, maybe she doesn't know the song as well. It's a hard song to learn, because it's like kind of like soft and like, you know, they know what he's really saying, or you got to read the lyrics, and like, oh, that's what he said, right? So I'm thinking that she's battling trying to figure out kind of what it means, uh, or how to sing it. And so I was like, hey, and this is the universal whole question, right? You good? You know? And she was just like, yeah. What does this song mean? And I was like, ooh, let's go, you know? So the way to write for writing to a seven-year-old, right? And, and, and so I told her how I think this is a reminder that God invites us to worship Him. It's a reminder that, that all of nature will one day praise the work of God, but nature has already started, right? Like nature has already started. And then my brilliant theologian goes, but that, how exactly do you see Christ? And I was just like, huh. And the Lord did a mighty rushing with me. And the dream started flying. And I felt so inspired by the spirit. I said, honey, when the wind blows and they sway back and forth, the noise they make is them clapping. And she was just like, oh. So they worship God in just what they normally do. I said, this one's different. There's a sense of worship that we have that is something we have to put on. Or it's something we have to do, or it's something that's extraordinary outside of ourselves. But if I did it right, and if Kennedy's right, there's also a sense of worship that it must be what we naturally do. 
but even further than that, what we're created to do. That's how the tree question. And of course, the final question was, well, that, how do we That's what this test is this morning. That's the question of this test at the end of Malachi 1, verses 6 to 14, is Malachi just focusing how do we worship God? It's just the question that he poses of what does worship look like for people who've grown apathetic, they just don't care. For people who've grown complacent, they just can't push through or have no desire to push through. So people who, who, who've so been defined, right? That when we're out of silence, we don't know if we can get the best animal for you, right? What does worship look like to people who can't or won't give God the best? What does worship look like to people who are bold enough to even question, do you want us Malachi answers this. If you have a Bible, turn on me to Malachi chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 6 to 14. We'll have it up front so you can follow there as well. Starting at verse 6. I think this is funny, but this is how hard it is. I definitely did not plan this to be A son honors his father, and a slave or servant is master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? That's the Lord Almighty. And if you preach, who shall consent? So shall I preach and say, who shall despise for my name? And if you preach, who shall consent for my name? But you ask, how will we show contempt for and despise your name? By offering defiled and polluted food on my altar. And you ask, how will we defile you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. By saying that the Lord's table can be despised. When you offer blind animals to sacrifice, is that not wrong? Another thing that I have to say, is that not evil? When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Start offering them to your present governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would just the temple born, so that you would not like loose with fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you. Let's say this is that I take no delight in you. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure grain offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty, the Lord of the heavenly forces. If you profane my name by saying, The Lord's table is defiled and polluted, and its food is contemptible and despised. And you say, What over my name? And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that you do love us. We thank you that we know how to be loved well because you consistently love us well. We thank you for the name of the Lord. We thank you for who you have revealed yourself to be to us. And we thank you for your love that so carries us through. Lord, you have called us to worship you. You have created us to worship you. You have brought us together as a community to worship you. So, Lord, as we think of the worship of Malachi's day, we also think about the worship of our hearts. We 
Like, they were delusions, and he's like, well, God, you get like 98% of what you said, but we're still waiting for the Messiah. He ain't come yet. And so they get disillusioned because God's not on their timetable. But they're also disillusioned. And I think this is what Malachi is all about. Because of the sin that was not just around them, but the sin that was in one of the things I think the Old Testament does a really good job of, of explaining the sin is that when we sin, it's not so much that we harm God or, or, or we don't believe. It is that we harm our relationship with God. So we don't show our belief. When we sin, and if God is holy and perfect, God cannot exist to sin and And so that's why they disbelieve the name grow, right? Because if I'm here, and you take a step away from me, you're still going to fine. But if you get some steps and steps and steps away, eventually you'll get far enough that you might not even be able to see me and I have never left. And sometimes that's what sin does to us. And that's what's happened here in Malachi. Because they have taken so many steps further and further away, they can be like, God, how did you even love this? Right? Like that's what they asked last week. And so when we have this as our framework, Malachi settles that by saying, no, 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 I've never left. I've been here, God's been faithful. Even the name you call him Yahweh is a, is a testament to who God is. Because Yahweh means I am the God who was, the God who is, the God who will be, the God who revealed himself to you. And so this section dispute begins with God saying, listen, am I not a father? How do you honor me? And if I'm not a father, can I at least be a master? That you as a servant would honor me. I thought it fascinating because if you go back to the Old Testament, after God calls Abraham, and he has the son of promise with the Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob becomes Ezra. In Exodus chapter 4, God introduces this idea of Ezra not as a people, but as his child. And if you trace that, you realize. That it's not just, oh, children honor your parents. He puts this in the commandment. Honor your father and mother. So this idea isn't God shaming them, or this isn't God holding them to some incredibly high standard. But it's a reminder to us that God's not automatic. He's a parent. God's not just like, I love you because I'm God and I'm daddy. But I love you in a special kind of way. And then who God reveals himself to you is who God wants to be to you. We look at the example of David, right? For him, God was what? A seed, a shepherd, but a warrior. And in Israel, God just wanted to be God. And, and so he was in the beginning for them to worship him and to honor him because of all that he's done for them. And what has he done for these children? Well, he started with one person. He grew into a family and built it to a new because when they left Egypt, we have to remind ourselves that it wasn't just the 12 tribes that we know. Because in Exodus 12, there's a verse that says, and all the people who believe. If you ever get a chance, before you know you go to heaven, I think everyone should go to cities like New Orleans. Old cities. Because I think old cities carry something with them. And what they do is they carry the history into the present. I think we live in a day and age where we just wipe out everything and go to you. And you forget like what the old cities have, right? And what I love about New Orleans is that you can walk down the street in New Orleans and you see the Spanish influence. 
You turn right and you can see the French influence. You turn left and you can see the African American influence. You turn another left and you see the African influence, right? It's just like a series of, of cultures just built on top of each other. And I think that's a good way to understand Israel. Instead of thinking them as ethnically one people, we ought to realize that if they were in Egypt for 400 years, some of that Egyptian culture would have still been on Furthermore, some of those Egyptians were told in Exodus 12, left with them. Now, most biblical scholars will tell you that when they left, the way we think they left is before the Arabs come down. So there's a good chance that even the Egyptians they left with look more like me than what we consider Egyptians today. Right? So when we think of Israel, don't think about what you think about a Jew. It's a multicultural nation from the beginning. You can't sit somewhere for 400 years and not be impacted by the people around you. Because you're going to marry them. You're going to adopt them. They're going to adopt you. You're going to adopt their culture too. And I think that's why the place is so important because God knew there was negative aspects of that. And if you believe in any of these different gods, let me show you how much more powerful I am than every single one of these people. Right? So God wants them to know that you are my children, and as my children, it's not because of one man, it's not because of one family, it's because I have built a nation that's reflective of the world. God's multicultural family does not begin with the church. It begins with the call to Israel. And God says, as a father who loves you through all of this, like, how can you dishonor me? And then God says, like, well, if it's not even as a father, you don't even respect me as a master. Now, I have to pause you a little bit because some translations still use the slave language. And I think that's tricky for us when we think slave, we think North American slavery. I think the best translation of that, which is a Hebrew word, is actually servant, right? So, so, for, so, 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 especially those of you who might not like to talk about it, think of it this way, right? God is saying that I see them. If you work for me, you don't show me. And that's deep. Because at first he's saying, I have loved you as a father, you don't honor me. And even if you just work for me, you don't have respect me. So there's two levels of disrespect that's happening here. And he has a third one. As my chosen people, that even you, the preachers, have, and we'll get to them in the next chapter, right? You have shown contempt for me. And here's the secret that a lot of people forget in Israel, and I think even we as Christians forget. When God says priesthood of all believers in the New Testament, that's not a new concept. That's not a new idea, right? Because that's what God wanted Israel to be a kingdom of peace. God seems to believe that his people ought to be representing him to their world. That his people ought to have such a close relationship with him, be honoring him, and living in a way that they're bringing others in or inviting others in. And God says, You, my kingdom of priests, have sold me as children, have sold me as servants, and you sell me as priests. And even as a nation, you go ignorant of your country. You do something for long enough, it not only becomes normal, and so these people who in the days of Amos, right? Amos was like, listen, they love how to cut out the show. Like, God just cares about your heart. Like, God don't care about this big festival, these loud songs, like all this dancing and parading. Like, where is your heart? Right? 
The temple is where they believed God was. The temple was there to make them to God. The temple was what differentiated them from the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Egyptians, right? The temple was where they knew God was, and yes, they were not doing their best, but they could at least go and get a little piece of God. Now God is saying, listen, your worship is so terrible, I would rather than one of you close the temple. Can you, can you imagine with me for a second? What is like for God to say, I don't want you to worship me? And maybe in personal relationships, we've gotten to this point, right? Where it's just like you get to a point of a relationship with someone where you're just like, you know what? Let's just go on separate. That's essentially what God is saying here to his own people. Like, this, whatever you think you're doing, and calling it worship, and stealing feet from one another, and bringing the feet that are hurt, and laying the disease, and not even thinking about giving me your best, like, I don't want it! I'd rather you shut the temple. I'd rather you close yourself off to me than worship me without your whole heart. You profane my table. You pollute my table. You have cheated me with your This is the dressing room compared to God. Which I think should at least force us to take a step back and think through our worship. And I think a lot of times when we talk about worship from the pulpit or in our book, we talk about how our whole lives are worship. And that's true. And Malachi is talking about what do you do when you enter into the house of worship? When you actually enter into the house of worship. And, and I think there's lessons here that Malachi is trying to teach us or that we can uh, kind of pull from this passage. The first one that I thought of really jumped out is that when we think of worship, may we think of worship as a chance to honor God. A lot of language in the Old Testament talks about love and hate. So even Jacob about love and Esau about hate. It's not an emotional language. It's not like I have feelings for you. I just I love you, right? It, it, it's a little bit more sobering than that. Like the, the better translation of, of even how we interpret that love is more like. Jacob, I talk highly about you. He defies me. Worship is our chance to show how highly we think about God. It's not like, like God's glad that you love him. But if you love him and you don't show him, can you truly say you love him? Worship is a chance to honor God as Father. God as a master, but with a merciful master. God as the high priest. But he's the one who died for us. God is the high priest, but the Spirit is the one who intercedes for us and now lives inside of us. Worship is our chance to honor God. So worship is also a place for us to serve God. It's time and time again in the Old Testament and the New, where God asks us to come humbly. But Amos is right. It's not about the strong. And now it has also been. It's not about what you can offer. You're like, you're, you're trying, right? And I'm not saying trying is bad. I'm saying try to try to feel holy. And that's the God's heart. Are you giving me everything you can with your whole heart and how you worship me? And one of the ways you can do that is by serving God in our worship. Worship is a response and acceptance of who God is. 
one of those the great blessings of my life is I am a caring God of That's a great blessing to me. Because I never have to worry, for me personally, never have to worry about, you know, what does it mean that, that I don't have a father in my house? Because for me, I did have a father in my house. God who not only lives inside of me, but who loves me, who guides me, who protects me. It was a nice to have a physical person, but it's even nicer to have a physical God. And so that's who God revealed himself to me. The other God heard how to communicate it to each other with stuff with him, because we become God's beloved. And that's the secret to worshiping God with your whole heart. Because if you want to become more like God, worship God more so. Trust God more deeply. Love God more closely. Worship is a response to who God revealed Himself to you to be. And for some of us this morning, He's a healer. He's a redeemer. He's a reconciler. He's the lover of your soul. He's the one who carries you through. He's the one who's your strength, your refuge, your guide. However, God revealed Himself to you. Worship is a chance for you to respond to that and become who you are today. And then worship is also this window for us to see God to be seen by God. I said this a lot because I, I, I do love being I'm a city kid. I'll probably never live outside of the city. And every now and then you go outside the city and it's great. That's what we You know, I don't laugh. People come to the city and lock their doors, right? But I'll leave the city and lock their doors. Right? Like, it's just like, most of the other people are scared of bears. You gotta do it. You gotta work on each other, right? But whenever I do venture out, one of the great blessings in my life is to be able to see a starry sky. To get to a mountain peak and look down and see how small I am, right? Worship our faith on a weekly basis is a chance for us to do that. Because I don't care what you feel when you walk in the door, when you say, God of Abraham, you're the God of promises. And when you hear your sisters and brothers all around you say the same thing, my anchor in the canal. I my hope and first foundation. When you hear the words of the things around you, it uplifts your spirit. And it's this reminder that it's, yes, I'm coming in with all this in my head. Before this moment in worship, my sisters and brothers are joining together to honor our God. And God can help put you through, no matter what I'm going through. The world that makes us small. By reminding us of how big God is. Worship is not a show like being a child. I think that's the challenge for us this morning. It can't be shy and deep. And that's what Malachi is saying, right? He's just like, listen, we know Levitical law. I saw uh, a podcast or a video this week. And they're saying how a lot of times Christians love to throw out Leviticus. Right? Like, we don't do Leviticus anymore. Until you realize that love your neighbor as yourself is Leviticus. Right? Until you realize that, you know, like, God is calling you to, to, to truly look out for the alien and stranger among you. That's Leviticus. Right? There's a lot of Leviticus law we still do. Well, for now, guys, people who we know the law. We know that God would rather you bring a shepherd than a sick man. We know that God will rather you bring a grain offering, right, than stealing your neighbor's ram or stealing your neighbor's sheep and bringing it out to worship. We know better. So the question to all of us this morning as we think about worship is, is our worship a show? Is our worship something? 
It is not our best. But it is our wish to pray to God as our God. He loves us and is good to us and will carry us through. What I love about this is that now that I seem to be brilliant, and this is something I feel like a lot of commenters don't give him enough credit for. Right? Now that I seem to believe that if God people here don't work to God, God is big enough that God people there will worship God. Now that I stop seeming focused on Israel, because how many times in this passage, two or three times in this passage, God said, My name will be known among all the nations. God is saying, I'll call you to worship me. And if you keep giving this worship, I'm going to the temple, and the nations are going to come to me anyway. And what's brilliant about this is Malachi is not dreaming here. He's not saying, one day, the world will worship God. He's speaking history. We ought to be speaking history too. Because in the Old Testament, the not Egyptians join the family of God. Do not Jericho people join the family of God. Do not a Moabite join the family of God. Now, I mention those three because they're in the genealogy of Jesus. So they're of Jesus. God's people have always been multicultural, multinational. God has always been worshipped in the world. But what Malachi is pointing out is that we're supposed to be God's chosen people, and our worship and praise is not good. Look at the world who's worshiping our God better than we are. Who's honoring our God better than we are. Who are coming from the outside in and giving their life fully to God better than we are. Because how do we worship God in body and spirit? I remind you of probably the two verses that carry me through as I think about worship. If you want to worship in body, I think we would do well to listen to what the writer of Romans says in Romans 12. 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Why? This is your true and proper worship. God can heal the sick, and He doesn't want a sick lamb on the altar, He wants His best friend. God can heal the broken, the stolen. And after God heals you, He deserves your best. He's worthy of your praise. And according to the writer of Romans, he said, we ought to be thinking about these physical bodies, right? And giving it fully back to God for worship. And if we're going to worship God in spirit, Thought of this verse of Jesus and the woman at the well. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Again, the nations outside are worshiping better than Israel. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come. You true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. So these are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshippers will worship in Spirit and truth. The way we worship in Spirit, I believe, or at least part of the way we worship in Spirit, is submitting to the Holy Spirit. It's coming into worship saying, God, I know you're here. Help me to meet you. In some ways, you might say, God, take me to meet you. 
a guy I just can't reach. I need you to wrap around me to meet you. Submitting to the Holy Spirit that's already inside of us. That's just worshiping in truth. I went back and forth, right? Because I grew up in the evangelical churches, Liberian, African American. I grew up in white evangelical churches, but we're from the present. Everybody's still a point of pressure, you know? And we do a really good job whenever it's like truth to us. It's like the gospel, right? Like, like worship in the gospel. But I think if we go back to Malachi, we realize that truth is also who God has revealed himself to be. And so this morning, what does it mean to worship in spirit? Submission. What does it mean to worship in truth? Remember who God has been to you. And give him thanks. Give him honor, give him praise. And close our song with, um, what, what, what's now a cut? Okay? Um, it's a song that when I was on the side of college in the early 2000s, I felt like we sang every praise in worship. Anything, right? Um, it's a song that maybe some of you haven't sang for a while, but this is one that's always struck a chord with it. It's one I love, right? Because it calls us back to this the heart of worship. What I love about this is because, like, when I got to the seminary, there's like, no, when we understand heart, it's not about passion and feelings, right? It's this idea of, are you giving all of yourself to God? I think that's the heart of the song. So, as we, as we said, as we sang, um, the pastor didn't come up, I can invite them up. We'd love to pray for you for anything you've got going on. Maybe you want to respond to something in the service, or there's something that's heavy and burning. We'd love to pray for you for that as well. But as we sing about coming back to the heart of worship, and we realize that God knows you love Him. Right? God's not touching your feelings about loving Him. But is your life, is your worship, giving Him the glory and honor He deserves? Is your life, is your worship, showing how highly you think of God? Is your life, is your worship, a reflection of God's goodness to you, of God's graciousness to you, of God's love to you? Is your life, is your spirit, if your body, all of you, willingly to come and give God the true, true heart of it. Let's say this thing. Thank you. 
Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making your blood and flow, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting purpose. That will endure forever and ever. Amen. Father God, we thank you this morning for the invitation to come back to you. For the reminder that you stood here years low to hear our prayers. That you blessed us with your Holy Spirit inside to, to interpret our prayers, to, to even give words to those things that we can't give words to. That you sent your Son not only to put the sun to the world, to show us how to live in a way that pleases you. But he died on the cross for us. That three days you raised him up. And now we worship not only the resurrected Jesus, not only the resurrected Jesus, but the mediator Jesus, the one who stands before you on our behalf. But the working on heaven Jesus, the one who's working on heaven until it's perfect for us. For the Jesus who stands before you, we like it. We get things. God, we thank you for this morning, for this invitation. May our worship to you not be a show, but it also may not be done. May our worship to you not be of our worst, but truly of our best. May our worship to you be a submission to the Holy Spirit. May it be empowered by the Holy Spirit. May our worship to you be a grateful thing for who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Now, worship to you, give you all the honor, all the praise, all the glory. But not only do you deserve it, but you, the God of all nations, have chosen to be the God of us. The Lord, we praise you. We praise you and worship you in our lives, in body and spirit. We hold you in Amen. God bless you all. Have a good week.